0: Welcome to the Think TLH podcast, brought to you by the Knight Creative Communities Institute. This is a show about innovators, creative thinkers, and individuals that are making transformative change here in Tallahassee, Florida. Here with us today, we have Dr. Sarah Hart, a developmental psychologist with specific interest in individual differences in cognitive development. So stay tuned and find out how this Canadian, runner, and world-renowned researcher ended up in Tallahassee. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. So as the associate professor and researcher at FSU's Department of Psychology, tell us a little bit about your day-to-day and the research that you do.
1: Yeah, sure. Those are actually two very different questions about my (laughs) day-to-day. My day-to-day looks a lot like a lot of meetings. (laughs) Um, But uh, my research, yeah, I'm really interested in how uh, kind of predicting how, um, what we understand about how kids learn to uh, read and to do math. So kind of understanding what's important uh, in how children learn those things. Um, so I focus uh, really, I say children, but I focus kind of on students at any level from preschool mm-hmm. all the way to studying the undergraduates at Florida State, uh, kind of learning um, what influences how, how students are achieving in the classroom.
0: What is the most fascinating item that's come out of the research?
1: Oh like picking your favorite child. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say, so I do a lot of work uh, uh, with twins. So I use twins as my main hand of participant population. So I study twins and that lets me look at if you've ever heard of the the nature versus nurture yes. idea, but we don't ever say versus anymore because it's not versus. Nature and nurture work together. Uh, and so I use twins to kind of understand how your genetics and your environment influence how you learn to read and do math and achieve in classrooms. Uh, and what's the most fascinating about this line of work is how, consistently, how consistent the findings are across different twin projects across the world. Um, so we tend to... When we look we tend to find when we look at reading development and, and 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 for math as well um that you know your genetic influences that you inherit from your parents so kind of the nature uh influences about 50 to 60 percent of of the the differences between people So genes is the most important influence in how you learn to read and do math, the genes you inherit from your parents, but they're not the only thing, right? The environment matters as well. Uh, And that finding of that genes matter just a little bit more than environment, but in general genes and environment matter is something that's pretty consistently found across the world, across all kinds of different twin projects. And so I find that quite fascinating.
0: That is fascinating, and really to show how the nature and the nurture really work Mm hand-in-hand with twins or with any child in their development and as they make milestones, as they move forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, how has Tallahassee supported you or the research community in a whole with the research that you do?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Tallahassee gave me my home and my job, <laughs> so uh, it was my first uh, sort of um, to be you know casual about it. My first grown-up job after uh, getting my PhD, I came down here uh, to work at Florida State, uh, and so it kind of nurtured me from the very beginning. I was initially a postdoc here, so that was I was really supposed to just be here for two years to do some additional training, and then started. Uh, uh, you know, applied for and got a job as an assistant professor uh, in the psych department here at FSU, as well as the Florida Center for Reading Research. Uh, and so, um, kind of Tallahassee and really Florida State kind of provided me the resources to kind of start and grow in my career. Uh, and that was in 2010. And so, you know, I. I got tenure and I got promoted uh, and uh, all at FSU uh, and the whole while just kind of giving me the resources and the infrastructure to kind of be successful and do the work that I want to do and the colleagues, lots of great colleagues here.
0: And your research that you've done, it has been utilized not only in the United States, but also worldwide. You know, what does that feel like? Are you able to collaborate with other researchers in different countries or in different states?
1: I Yes, I do. I, I, I collaborate both in here in the U.S. Uh, and internationally. Actually, today's the marks the first day of my sabbatical. Oh. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> this Friday, I'm actually moving to Europe for five weeks to work with colleagues there uh, in uh in Cambridge and then also in Amsterdam and then I'll be going to Australia for a month to work with colleagues there who all do very similar to research to me I have different twin projects and so kind of go visit and talk with them about what we find here in Florida uh, and uh, what they're finding in their kind of uh, respective places.
0: And now how do educators then take that research and put it into practice?
1: Yeah that is a <laughs> Great question. <laughs> That's
0: the type of question
1: you give somebody in their PhD defense.
0: <laughs> a good one. We don't need to do that no. today. No. Uh,
1: so it's actually a question that I've been really, uh, uh, I would say the last few years moving my career towards understanding the answer to that question. So uh, I uh, I do what I would consider pretty basic research. So kind of understanding how genes and the environment uh, kind of, you know, interact and influence how children learn to read and do math is pretty different than what teachers are encountering in their classrooms. Uh, but I'm in this wonderful applied research center, the Florida Center for Reading Research or FCRR I'll probably call it. And uh, I have lots of colleagues who work directly are former teachers or work directly with teachers or in classrooms doing intervention work and working with kids. And they've really influenced me to think about how my basic research actually affects kids in classrooms. Because it's one thing to say that you know genes and the environment matter. When I say that, I mean they matter in general to a population of children. That doesn't mean that that for any specific child in the classroom, that either one of those is meaningful or they're meaningful in the same levels as they are to a population. And so uh, I'm trying to figure out and work towards taking the research that I find, the basic research results that I have, and making them meaningful for teachers and for kids in classrooms Uh, and so one area that i've been starting to work towards is okay so we know that genes matter right and they're the genes that you inherit from your parents uh but i don't know what specific genes there are people who are working towards that but we're pretty far away from that you know we're not going to swab kids and you know take the results of your dna test and tell you how you're going to end up right (laughs) that first of all that's deterministic and that's just not what the research supports um but we're not there at the individual level. But what I think we can imagine is a place where, okay, so genes that you inherit from your parents matter. Uh, That means that if your parents themselves struggled to learn to read, uh, you actually have a much higher chance of struggling to learn to read yourself. So it's around a 45% chance if you're one of at least one of your parents had dyslexia, you yourself will also have dyslexia. And that's meaningful information to a, a specific child in the classroom. And so I, I'm starting to think about how we can use family history of struggling to read or struggling with math to um, help us know earlier what child is gonna struggle in the classroom.
0: And then there could be early intervention measures, yes, and teachers could work with the child and help them overcome those potential challenges. Yes,
1: exactly. So I have all these wonderful colleagues who've done this great intervention work that have found that the earlier you intervene with children who potentially will have dyslexia, uh, kind of the better the outcome is. It's really hard to intervene with kids once they get to say past third grade or into middle school. But if you can get them early, uh, there's a higher chance that those children will um, to learn to read. Uh, and so I'm thinking, why not use family history? You know, just like you go to a, um, your, uh, let's say your primary care physician and you're sitting in the office, you fill out a questionnaire about do you have a family history of heart disease or cancer? You know, these are really yes. complex outcomes that genes and environments matter, just like reading genes and environments matter. But you can still get meaning that your physician can have get meaningful information from asking do either one of your parents have cancer or heart disease? And let's talk about lifestyle changes or pre- uh, preventative measures that we can do right now before you even maybe could get diagnosed with something like that. And so I see something similar potentially happening in schools.
0: That's great. And then it helps the teacher be more prepared mm-hmm. and work with those students so they're on the pathway to success. Yes, that's, that's what I hope. for. Exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. That's so exciting. That's what I'm starting to move towards. I, I love that. And kids could use it. You know, I think this is off topic, but, you know, when my children are in elementary school and they do a kindergarten kind of pre-test to see where all the kids are, but Mm -hmm. if they did incorporate into that family history, that helps them each teacher would know a little bit more about the children coming into their class and know how they could potentially work with them.
1: Yeah, I at least think it's an interesting research question. We don't know. you know. Right. Uh, do, those, do those tests tell you everything that we need to know? And maybe family history won't tell you anything more. But that's what I want to know. Will family history tell you more? And family history is a fairly simple questionnaire parents can fill out versus the testing is typically one-on-one with somebody who has a little bit more training to be able to administer the test. So does family history even tell you the same amount of information that pre-testing does? And if so, that's a simpler metric for schools and cheaper for schools to collect than to do that testing. So, Absolutely. But it's unknown. A, a it's,
0: it's not known right now, so I'd like right. to find out. Well, that's exciting. And to see what other entities are doing in other countries. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to Tallahassee? You mentioned it was your, a job offer made you most interested or coming here for, it was your PhD?
1: Yeah, for my postdoc. Okay, so so for
0: your postdoc. But what made you choose Tallahassee over other cities?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, there's kind of two answers to that question. Uh, One, it was why I even applied for a job or tried to get a job here with who ended up being my postdoc advisor uh was uh, you know there's this group of incredible researchers who do work in my area right at the florida center for reading research so there's this collection of you know world-renowned researchers here that maybe even like look towards florida state uh, and then kind of the real, you know, nuts and bolts answer to your question is I graduated in 2010 and it was kind of still at the bottom of the, you know, economic crisis, not the bottom, but the bottom for the academic job market. So there weren't many jobs to be had. And so this was a place that had a job for me. Uh, and so I came down here and, and- then it ended up being a place that we loved.
0: And hopefully you'll stay for a long, long time. Yeah,
1: you know, I, originally my husband and I moved here uh, with the intention that it's just being a two-year job, and then we would move someplace else. Uh, and then at the end of that two years, we loved it at that point so much here that we were happy to stay.
0: And you and your husband have really gotten involved locally in the community. Tell us about that. You know, what what do you think makes Tallahassee special? What have been some great ways to get engaged?
1: Yeah so um, when we first moved here um, you know I didn't really know anybody in in Tallahassee. I think Tallahassee itself in 2010 was just starting to kind of pick up steam and kind of come into its own. I had known people who had lived here uh, kind of in the five years before 2010 and uh, their description of what Tallahassee was like was totally different than my experience here in Tallahassee. Uh, So when we first moved here um, my husband and I uh, of did two things to kind of get us engaged in the in the local community we joined um golf Winds track club
0: oh yes for running
1: yes uh and uh i was just starting to run at that point when we moved here and my husband has always kind of been a lifelong runner uh and so we ran into a friend who suggested we join this track you know the, the running club uh and we met so many friends that way um, they're, you know, uh, Golf Winds is just an amazing resource here in town and a very welcoming group to welcome runners of any level. Uh, and so him and I did a little bit of volunteering for the group before we had, we have a four year old now. And so kind of once we had the kid, we, we weren't nearly as great for volunteering for them. But before we would help run some uh, kind of uh, running groups, like a trail running group, my husband ran for a little while. And then I did some big, be- to run, beginning running, uh, I was a coach for that. And we helped sell merchandise for golf wins, and so that helped us meet a lot of people that I still see. I went, you know, running on Sunday and ran into two people on the trail, you know, (laughs) kind of in the middle of nowhere that I knew through the club. Uh, So that was a a great way to kind of uh, introduce us to our first kind of set of friends here in town. And then another way we got engaged in the in the city. My husband, his name is Abe. Uh, Abe and I started a food blog when we first moved here to town.
0: Exciting. Uh,
1: And so uh, we got really involved in kind of the local food culture here. And um, there was a a set of bloggers at that time. The community has kind of died down now. But there was uh, maybe five or six uh, uh, bloggers who were working. And we would do restaurant reviews. And the bloggers would all meet up with each other. Uh, and we were all active on Twitter. I think we met each other on Twitter, um, this food community. Uh, and, uh, and so that was another way we kind of got involved and found out more about what was happening locally. We're really interested in like local restaurants and things that are happening uh, kind of um, uh, that way rather than kind of the chain restaurants. And so uh, we could kind of grow with the city, I think, as the restaurant culture was really starting to pick up at that time, the local restaurant culture.
0: And Tallahassee has such a unique local restaurant culture. You know, you really could... So many of our restaurants are Mm farm-to-table, and we have such just incredible local farms. And I'm always surprised that many of our restaurants that do really serve menus that are truly all farm-to-table, they don't necessarily go out and market themselves as such. Mm -hmm. But you... I mean, you could live an entire year in Tallahassee and never have to eat at a chain restaurant. You could stick with all of our different local restaurants.
1: Yeah, you really could. There's so many to choose from now. Uh, You know, my saying what I – so I help – like when we're interviewing new faculty to come into our department right you show them around town you take them out for dinner and we always go to you know kind of our nicest local restaurants uh, and you tell them about this city and uh, what i say is Tallahassee is not a large city so a lot of these you know visit people who are coming to interview here are coming from much bigger cities say so, you know it's not a large city you know you're not going to have choice you know a 10 restaurants deep list for anything that you might want but we have at least one really good of anything that you want here in town, and in reality, that's all you need. That's uh, right. So yeah, there's lots of hidden gems here in town uh, of, uh, of people doing really great food.
0: There really are, and it is—it's such a hidden secret. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think people necessarily think of cuisine and good locally sourced cuisine when they think of Tallahassee, but there really there are so many hidden gems here. Yeah, there really are. Tell us a little bit more about the Reading Research Center. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so, the Florida Center for Reading Research uh, was started in the I think around 2004 here at Florida State. Uh, just by chance, there had been a collection, a collection—some weird way to describe it. There had been a, a group of researchers here uh, who did reading research, um, and uh, what happened was uh, the um, you know George W. Bush was the president, and his brother was the governor here in Florida and the governor knew uh, through kind of personal connections of this small group of, of researchers who studied reading development in kids uh, and uh, lots of money flowed from federally into the states to, to start um, the kind of the no child left behind at, and uh, to, uh, to bring money into reading, into reading first uh, and, uh, that money started, the governor suggested, uh, to, um, these researchers to start this Florida center for reading research. Uh, and so, um, uh, Dr. George Torgerson was the initial kind of founder, uh, you know, starter of the center. Uh, and it's growing now to, I think there's hundreds of employees that work there, um, kind of at any given time, there's, uh, at least, uh, six, tenure track faculty and then many other research faculty that work for the center uh and so um it is a it's a kind of an independent research center within fsu uh where the faculty have what's called tenure homes. so like my tenure home is in psychology but some people are in the college of education Uh, some faculty are in the communication disorders and we all come together under the general um, uh, idea that our research links towards re- uh, reading and how children learn to read, and so um, that's what the center does.
0: And scientists and educators from all over the world use that center as a resource.
1: Yes. Yeah. So the uh, the uh, FCRR website. I can't remember the specific statistics, but it's on the order of millions of website hits. Uh, a year of um, mostly we think educators who are accessing the resources that are on the website. So if anybody's listening that knows a teacher in their life or is a teacher, there's some amazing resources on the uh, Florida Center for Reading Research website uh, of, um, of ideas to do in the classroom to help encourage reading uh, in your classroom. They're all freely available. So that is probably the number one reason why people know about FCRR is the resources that are on the website that uh, teachers use. Uh, and then, most likely, teachers that are pre-service or like learning to become teachers uh, probably have heard about or read about some of the kind of the faculty that are here.
0: I mean, I didn't even know about that until we were researching you, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, here's this world ride. This resource right here in Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah, uh,
1: so I think I was mentioning earlier sorry. that uh, one of our biggest branding problems that FCRR has is that uh, we're not actually very well known locally, uh, but known internationally. So uh, our we have a, a, a fairly new director. He's only been around for a couple of years, uh, and he has been working on trying to make us uh, kind of have some re- name recognition here in Tallahassee and to support our local community, because we do a great job of supporting kind of at the national level, uh, different educational communities, but to, to um, kind of uh, give back a little bit. So there's been a, we've been working the, um, the I, I say we kind of as the royal, we, not me specifically, but yeah, the, the center has been working with the mayor's office uh, and the Families First initiative. And so the center helps put on the um, kind of the the conferences that he's been doing mm-hmm. for families first uh and uh and then kind of creating uh, brochures and materials if you go to the library now that i've told you about fcrr if you go to the kids part of the library you'll likely see kind of flyers uh, about like how to read to your kids during the summer or how to keep up your kids reading during the summer was stuff that they had this past summer and
0: so you'll see stuff around and camp. i miss that <laughs> you know I'll, I'll probably notice it now, now you, next time now going you've to heard the library, it you'll probably notice it yeah i love it Sarah not only are you involved in world-renowned research but you also work to increase female representation in professional society through the organization you co-founded power tell us about power
1: yeah so power there were um 13 of us who started it we're the steering committee and kind of founding members uh and uh we are all um kind of uh, people who identify as being women and uh we uh most of us were kind of entering into the mid part of our career. As a professor, usually once you get tenure and become an associate professor, you're considered more mid-career. And so uh, many of us have gotten tenure or were just about to get tenure, had at least been active with our own labs and are doing our own research for a while. And so kind of after you're done, you can imagine like ducks on the water, right? Your Your little...
0: Your feet are moving really fast fast under the water. Yeah, they're just
1: moving really fast under the water. So then you kind of get to the other side, and we were all looking around, and we realized that kind of from kind of looking up ahead to the next step, which is becoming a full professor, there there was not as many women. uh, And there's not as many women in leadership positions. Uh, Women get fewer grants. Uh, Women, uh, you know, are less likely to be presidents of the society. Uh, You know, women are less likely to get the paid talks, uh, to be on the, you know, important panels. And uh, what was the most kind of, you know, you likely have heard about it, you know, let's get more girls, let's get more women into STEM careers, right? That's been a push and something you've likely heard of. But here we all were doing research in education, and in child development, which are usually heavily more female-oriented fields. Our trainees tend to almost entirely be women. Uh, educators are almost entirely women, like teachers. Uh, and so we were in a very, we're not in a field that's having difficulties recruiting women into training in the field. Yet, when we started to look at kind of the senior level, the full professors, the deans of education, or you know, kind of the and people who are making important decisions in our field, it was there was lots of men around and we were trying to figure out what was happening uh, and we wanted to try to change that. And ch- what how we decided to try to change that is to do some um, really good mentoring. So we're all really interested in mentor As a group, the Steering Committee of Power are all really interested in, in mentoring women. Uh, and so we started the association to um, that's open to anybody, but in particular, our focus is trying to help mentor and just to help in general provide opportunities that's you know part of our our name power is providing opportunities as the po uh you know to to women and any individual who uh, identifies as a woman or feminine or femme or even non-binary to uh, help them succeed in their careers uh, and kind of get to the level that we all got to Uh, and so that's what we're doing we've just uh, we spent about a year planning and getting ready and writing bylaws and things like that Uh, We opened up our membership this summer, so we have 160 members right now. And now our next step is to try to figure out how we can help mentor um, our members and kind of help women feel supported uh, and, and, uh, yeah, supported in their careers.
0: Power, that is excellent. And where could someone go to get more information or to join?
1: You can find Power uh, online. We have a website and all the information about how to join or, you know, more information about Power. And the website is uh, www.womeninedresearch.com. And all that kind of information about who we are uh, is there.
0: I want to think a lot of our listeners might want to go and check it out and get more information because as you've noticed the disparity in your industry you know it happens all across all industries and all backgrounds and even in 2017 we saw research that women still earn only 82 percent of what men earn and that was according to the pew research center so it's not surprising that you're seeing that in your industry as well
1: yeah i know even again like i said it's just mind-blowing that this kind of Typically, female industry still sees that we see those pay gaps, uh, and we see uh, a gap at the kind of the um, the decision maker level. So the 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 academic management and people making decisions for our uh, professional societies and other things are more likely to be men. And then also people getting grants, uh, you know, our major grant, uh, you know, which like a big it's a big part of our job. Uh, and, uh, women tend to get fewer grants than men do. And, you know, kind of all men, women are cited less than men are, uh, in it's their crazy. research studies. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you all and your friends that started power are doing something about it and working to make a difference. Yeah. And I thank think you. That's what's special in Tallahassee, too, is when Tallahassee residents, there's a history of when we see problems and challenges, we don't just sit around and complain about them. We do something, and we take action and work to overcome them, and their power is a perfect example of you and your colleagues seeing a challenge and also looking out for the opportunity and being part of that solution. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So to our listeners, that was Dr. Sarah Hart. She is the developmental psychologist, and she and her research teams are constantly coming up with innovative research, and that will help teachers and educators beyond. Thank you for listening to the THiNK TLH podcast from the Knight Creative Communities Institute. If you want to learn more or hear other episodes, go to kccitallahassee.com forward slash thinktlh. Please also subscribe to the show through Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. While you're there, give us a review. And for more updates, follow us at kccitallahassee Tallahassee on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check back every Thursday for another episode of Think TLH. Our show is produced and edited by Allison Levitt, And I'm Betsy Couch, and you've been listening to the Think TLH podcast from the Knight Creative Communities Institute.